So thank you everyone for joining another podcast with another, another woman's story this evening. Today we have a special guest. Her name is Sherelle and she is going to share a little bit about herself and her experience. Um, but before we start, as always, we want to remind you that if you are in a situation, if you need help, if you need assistance, if you just want to talk to someone or you really uh, have decided to uh, exit the place where you currently reside, please contact 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, bring Sherelle on and I will let her tell you a little bit about herself. But thank you, first of all, Sherelle, for uh, joining us tonight. We appreciate your time. And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Cheryl. Thank hey. you so much for having me on the store, the show. First of all, I'm so glad that you have launched another woman's story. I think that it is outstanding and to extend yourself to those who find themselves in a space where they have not yet decided to give themselves what they deserve and to put themselves first and to ensure that they are safe. Um, this is a platform that I think will allow women the freedom to make that decision. So I'm super proud of what you're doing and I'm Thank grateful you. for show. Um, as you know, I have both been a victim of domestic violence as well as an advocate for those who have experienced domestic violence and working with women to be survivors. So um, I'm excited about the questions that you're going to ask and hope that the dialogue that we will have will make a difference in a woman's life to finally make that decision to put herself first and set herself free. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start. Uh, let's, why don't you uh, just share with the listeners um, kind of where, what your background is, how you first uh, came upon um, the situation, either as a survivor or as a person who's had to encounter uh, domestic violence. Well, I, you know, depending on how you look at it, unfortunately or fortunately, um, as a youth, I experienced domestic violence in a very traumatic way, both from physical domestic violence in a relationship and a victim of rape. And um, that played a major role in who I became as a young woman in regards to the impact it had on my self-esteem, um, the way that I view myself as a person, um, the questions that I had around the judgment that I made and just how I saw, saw myself overall. And, you know, later as, you know, a professional and an adult, I've also advocated for women who have found themselves in the same situation. So I'm currently an executive. And I guess if you looked at the cover of my book, for lack of a better word, and um, the lifestyle that I live today, most of the time, one would never think that I would have been a victim of domestic violence, but I was. Wow. Yeah, I was. I found myself in a situation as a young adult where um, the low self-esteem that I had as an overachiever, because a hole that was in my heart as a young adult or as a young child, um, really positioned me to um, really want to be an overgiver and a pleaser. And as a result of that, I found myself and a relationship that was not healthy. Mm. And um, I talked myself into staying in a relationship until I was brutally beaten multiple times. And I finally got to a point where um, I no longer wanted to accept treatment that was less than what I deserved. 
So I have a couple questions with regard to that. When you said that um, there was something that happened where you had a hole in your heart, do you think that as a young girl that that kind of catapulted you into a place because of, let's say, insecurities or um, things that you suffered as a result of having that uh, quote-unquote hold in your heart? Do you think that that was the catalyst for you going into a relationship that was less than? That's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is, were there signs initially that you may have missed? Were there, uh, did this graduate from let's say, verbal, mental, emotional, to the physical? So, um, first of all, let me preface it by, um, if I don't answer every single part of the question, then please repeat it. But I think the initial question around, um, do I think that the early part of my lifestyle um, had a major impact on my decision-making? I would say absolutely. Okay. I grew up as a child feeling unwanted and unloved. Okay. And... In spite of the fact that I have an outstanding relationship with my mom and I have an outstanding mom, you know, early in my childhood, um, the experiences that I had with my mom coupled with as compared to the need that I had did not match. And so as a child, there is a need to be nurtured and loved and affirmed. And I did not experience that as a young child. I was not raised by a nurturing mom. I was not raised by a person who affirmed me. And as a result of that, I was constantly seeking that. Gotcha. So I would say to your point that as I grew older, I recognized that I was an overachiever and an overdoer. I always say that I was kind of over, over. I was that person that you didn't really have to ask me to do it. I was going to volunteer. Okay. And of course, as a young person, you have no idea why you do the things that you do. But I recognize now as a professional and older adult that it had a lot to do with the need to fill that hole in my heart. So going back to your initial question around, do I think that my early childhood experiences had something to do with the decisions that I made around my later relationships? I would say yes, because I think that for me, I lacked, uh, there was something that I lacked as a young child. And so... I didn't feel worthy. I was always striving to be validated and to be loved. And so anything that looked like love without really knowing what love was, I attached myself to. Okay. And as a result of that, in my young adulthood, I um, ended up with a gentleman that um, initially looked like he was someone who loved me as a result of the gifts and the words but the end result was that he was exceptionally abusive. Mm. And um, as a result of that, I found myself um, in a relationship. I can remember the very first time he put his hands on me. And um, when he did that, like I was as a child, I thought about what I could have done differently to avoid that situation. Not recognizing that what he had done had nothing to do with who I was. Right. But because of the brokenness inside of me, I was always taking responsibility for the mistreatment that was placed upon me. Gotcha. And so I was in that situation and it continued to escalate. And like many abused women who come into the relationship broken, I was thinking if only I could do better, maybe he would treat me better. Synonymous with the thoughts that I had 
with my mom or maybe even with the people in my life, not to say that they didn't love me, but I thought that well, maybe if I was better, maybe if I did more. So I was an A student, I was a person who kept the house clean, I was someone who was always trying to fix the situation, recognizing that the reality of why I did that was because I was trying to be validated because at that time in my life, I didn't already know that I was enough. Gotcha. And so, you know, it led up to me getting into that relationship in when I was in college and um, being in that relationship for um, a few years until I was in a situation where um, I was severely beaten in the street and left in the middle of the night and um, realized that um, I was living a life that wasn't aligned with the perception of how people saw me. And what I mean by that was that I was um, very thriving. I was a valedictorian in high school. I had a number of jobs. I was considered to be successful. I was at UCLA. I appeared to be someone that many people would want to be like. But the hidden part of my life was that I was suffering from domestic violence and nobody knew. So nobody knew, like none of your girlfriends knew at the time that you were dealing with this guy. He Was he um, like that uh, only in private? In other words, no one could see the potential there. None of your girlfriends said, you know, hey, Sherelle, maybe you should, you know, have you noticed? Nobody said anything. Nobody knew anything the whole time. Nobody knew. I mean, the reality of it was I was in the relationship with him for a while, probably over a year before the first time he put his hands on me. And the perception of good, whatever that means, um, he appeared to be someone who was good to me. I mean, he took care of me and he provided for me and he did a lot of things for me um, in the grand scheme of materialism, if that matters. Okay. And um, the perception from the outside looking in was that he was very good to me. And then you have to remember too, Cheryl, that I was ashamed. Yeah. And so I wasn't sharing with anyone what I was going through. And most people admired me. I was in a relationship with this man who was kicking me down financially. I was going to UCLA. I had a good job. My family structure looked great. And so the perception of what I was presented wasn't aligned with the reality of what I was living. Gotcha. And so no one really knew what was going on with me. Wow. So at the point that you decided this was enough, what made you make that decision? What made you say the light went on? What happened to for you to say, I'm out of here? I think it really is a gradual process. I think that, um, you know, when you get to a point that your desire to change is greater than your desire to stay, then that's when you're ready to make a move. In other words, you know, you, you, you know, I, I think oftentimes victims of domestic violence take responsibility for the actions of the perpetrator. Yeah. And what I recognize is that that day when um, we were driving down the street, literally, and um, he started to question me about something that he was feeling or thinking or was told, I will never really know what, why. And I didn't give the appropriate answer and he persisted to start socking me in my face and in my eye. And um, I was in the passenger seat, he was in the driver's seat, we were driving literally. 
And in that moment, because of the way that he hit me, my eyes swell, swole. And when it swole, like a boxer, it closed. So I'm not knowing what that means. I thought my eyeball fell out. So I actually jumped out the car. And when I jumped out the car, because the car was moving, I rolled and he pulled over. And I think that, you know, it was, it was a major struggle. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was in South Central LA. It was just, it was a lot going on. And I remember that in that moment of shock, because I literally was outside of myself. When he, I jumped out of the car, he pulled the car over, he jumps out of the car. And in that moment of shock, I jumped back in the car and I locked both doors. And there was this overwhelming voice, voice saying to me, that's it. That's, hmm. that's it. And I jumped in the driver's seat and he jumped on the, the hood of the car and I literally started driving down the street and I was on the wrong side of the road and long story short, police pulled us over and all they did was look at me and took me to jail. And after that, and during that time, probably during those last few months of that relationship, I just got to know Jesus Christ. Mm. And for me, um, I think that to answer your question about what was the catalyst that caused me to shift, it was the fact that I was learning about my value and learning to understand that the life that I was living wasn't aligned with who I wanted to be. Right. And it was important to me that I would balance the scale. And so I reached out to someone who I love and adore and um, she started to work with me. And um, that's Sister Pat Weaver from my former church, Friendship Baptist Church. And as a result of that, she introduced me to someone else. Her name is Helen Harris. And they worked with me and I started to understand what I'd been through. And I started to shift and make some changes in my life. And I think that the catalyst was that I got to know Jesus Christ. I was being introduced. I started to realize that I'm worth it. Mm -hmm. And that I recognized that even though I knew I was worth it, I didn't know how to live a life that represented someone that was worthy. And so I reached out for help. And that's, that's why I think what you're doing is so amazing because you are positioning women to know that there is a mechanism to get help. Yeah. Sometimes you just need a venue to get there or a person and in that time, we didn't have internet and social media, and there was a person, and now you're providing that to people who may be living the same experience that I lived a long time ago. That's good, um, and I appreciate that. Uh, you know, in the in the interviews that we've had before, uh, we talk about what to do after you get out, and you kind of have segued us into the next conversation because wanted to ask you. Um, if you thought that was a good idea, well, obviously you did. You trusted some people to share that information. They were able to walk you through that process. Would you recommend that a person does that afterwards or that they, um, what is your, what is your take on self-healing versus actually, you know, venting to another person, whether that be someone from their church or someone in, um, in counseling, how do you, what are your, your views on that? You know, to be honest with you, Cheryl, it's a process. It was a journey for me. Um, in the moment in which I was actually going through the situation and what happened, to be honest with you, is that he went to jail. It had nothing to do with me. He went to jail because the police saw me and they arrested me. Um, but to be completely authentic with you, I didn't want to press charges. 
right. didn't. Um, the DA ended up pressing charges because they had enough physical evidence to press charges. So they didn't really need me to press charges. Um, but I was still weak and I still didn't want to harm him. I still didn't have self-worth. However, he ended up going to jail and he ended up doing time behind that. And as a result of that and me uh, going to church and learning, I can't say that I initially reached out to help. Although knowing what I know now, if I had an opportunity to speak into the life of someone else, I would tell them to reach. Um, I would also be um, misrepresenting the reality of what I did because I didn't reach right away. What happened in my situation was that God reached for me. Yeah. And um, because I started going to church and I started learning more about value and self-worth and love, I recognized that what I ended up represented love. But I think to your point around what I would say to other women is that regardless of where you are spiritually, that I think that when we are not living a life that's aligned with the life that we want to live, that we need to figure out how we match that up. And uh, for me, that means that we have to seek out help to get to where we want to be. And it needs to be in a manner that provides us safety. Okay. And that safety is not just around whether or not you're being physically abused, but it's right around your secrets, you know, your insecurities, the things that make you embarrassed or that you're ashamed with. You have to have somebody that you can go through that loves you enough to support you through that journey. And so, um, I would definitely, to answer your question, recommend that anyone in that situation would make sure that they have some sort of a tribe around them and it doesn't need to be large. It could be one person, two people, three people that they can really go to safely. And what I mean safely is that they feel that their heart is protected and that they will not be judged and they will not be lectured and nobody will tell them, I told you so. But that person will grab their hand and say, I got you. Yeah. And I think that um, when we have that, then we are more prone and apt to start taking the steps toward healing. But we first have to decide that we're ready. Okay. So what would you say to three groups of people? First group would be women who are currently in a situation, uh, in a domestic violence situation. First group. Second group is the group of women who have just recently left that situation. And the third group would be women who have left the situation and been gone for a while. What words of encouragement or what advice could you give to those three groups? I think that the first thing I would do for the women who have and are currently in the situation is I would encourage them to start to first and foremost recognize and accept the fact that they are worth more than their circumstances and to start to affirm themselves in their life and then to reach out to organizations like Another Woman's Story who will help them take that first step to start aligning the life that they want to live with exactly the life that they're actually living. And I think that that's really important for women who are in a domestic violence situation. I think that when we're in those situations, we feel defeated. We believe that nobody will understand. We're embarrassed, we're scared. There's so many things, factors that go into why women stay. 
And I think that for those of you who have been fortunate enough to not be in that situation, I also would say that you have to be able to let go of the judgment and you have to extend love. And I think that women that are in that situation have to find other people who will love them through the situation regardless. And another woman's story is a start. I think for women who have made the decision to leave the situation and who are fresh out of the situation, I think that women who are fresh out of the situation need to give themselves the time and the space that they need to heal. I think a lot of times when we are fresh out of anything that has been traumatic in our life, we feel like we have to be somewhere other than there. But there's a transition process to get to the next phase of life. And we have to understand that it's a journey to get there. And we need to give ourselves time, space, and grace. So be okay with the nothing. Be okay with the nothing in between. Absolutely. Okay. You're absolutely correct. You have to be, that's excellent. You have to be okay with the nothing. You have to know that um, every step that we take is taking us to our ascent. It's part of our process. It's part of our journey. We're not going to go from the bottom of the barrel to the top. It's going to be a process. And so I would just say, give yourself permission to take your time to get there and count your wins yeah. and celebrate your victories. That's good. And give yourself grace when you find that you might have retracted for a moment in time. But know that that moment in time of what you've been through and where you are does not define the entire lifespan that you're going to experience. And for the women who are out of it, like you and myself, I would say that like what you're doing, make sure that you use part of your time and your space to do exactly what another woman's story is doing and to extend yourself to other women to help them through their journey of success, to help them through that process of violence, to help them to discover who they are, to help them to heal, to help them to find the remediation that they need to start to take the steps to begin to live the life that they want to live. And I would encourage women like you or me to use resources like Another Woman's Story to make a difference in another woman's life. Because I think those of us who have been through domestic violence, it is because we were strong enough to be able to use what we've been through to help another woman. And so I think we should use the experiences that we've been through to make a difference in the lives of others. And then we all can celebrate. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all your time and and for uh, sharing your story, obviously, and your experiences. I do want to ask you one more question before uh, we close out. If there are any other words that you have, any questions that you have uh, before we close out this interview, um, if you have anything that you want to say or anything like that, uh, uh, off the topic or whatever, just to express whatever whatever you'd like to share at this point. I think that the thing that comes to mind is that I just want to say to you, Cheryl Patton Dandris, that I am so super, super proud of you, that I am really glad that you are no longer allowing the bondage of what you've been through to stop you from experiencing all of the greatness that God has in store for you. And Uh the fact that you are using what you've been through to help other women, um, survivors of domestic violence or those who are in domestic violence, that I'm so super, super proud of you. 
I'm grateful to be a part of your platform and anything that I can do to support you and another woman's story that I'm here for you today and always. Oh, thank you, girl. <laughs> thank you. And with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the interview today. Um, again, as always, we want to reiterate the telephone number if you need help, uh, 1-800-799-SAVE. Everyone have a productive evening and take care. Thank you so much, Rel, for your um, feedback. Thank you for your response. Thank you so much for uh, everything that you shared with us today. Uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. And as always, we'd like to remind you if you have a situation that you're in uh, with regard to domestic violence, you can't get out, you don't know where to turn, you don't know where to go please contact 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day.